Good morning. My name is Greg Scalisi, and it's been my privilege to intern here at Brewster Baptist Church. And when you work at a church, you get to see lots of things that most people don't normally see. Like this past week, seeing a bunch of styrofoam, and those are actually bottle caps, get turned into a train. And I don't mean to be flippant or morbid, but one of the strange things that I've been able to see is that in the past 11 weeks, I've been to eight funerals. It's been a lot of grief. It's been a lot of passing on in our church this summer. And I didn't even go to all of the funerals. We've, some of the volunteers and other staff people have been to over 10. And while I haven't done several hundred funerals, like my dad, since the time I was in middle school, I was sitting right back where Charlie Counts is sitting in the booth right now, every few weeks, filming funerals. And when you go to that many funerals, you begin to notice a few things. And when you hear the families and friends give eulogies and try to sum up people's lives, which is so hard to do, one of the things that really stands out is just how different all of our lives are. Sometimes you hear all about a person's career, how they built a business and distinguished themselves. But sometimes you hear all about their family, how they were the perfect grandmother, a wonderful father. Sometimes it's about their welcoming home and the way they cooked. Sometimes their lives sound incredibly blessed. And sometimes not. Some of the lives are marred by long illnesses, broken relationships, unexpected deaths. Some have lived long, full lives, and some have died before their time. Every life is different, and different in a way that often seems deeply unfair, that's hard to make sense of. What's important to us, what happens to us, varies so much from person to person. And yet at every funeral, whatever sort of life that person had, we hear roughly the same thing. We hear about the good that person did whether as a businessman, as a father, or a friend, as a painter, or a writer, or a teacher, we speak about the good they did. Because we all want to know that we've succeeded in life. We all have a need to be validated, to feel that we've done the right thing, that we're loved and respected, that we've won at life. And that's what we hear at the funerals, that the person who we loved and who we lost had a good life. We all have that need for validation, and while we're still living, we often compare ourselves to the people around us, looking for that validation. We look to our neighbors, to our friends. We look to what we see on social media. We're surrounded by images and examples of how other people live. We want to know how we stack up, whether or not we're winning. But when we do that, it can often be discouraging. It can make us feel inadequate or jealous. But with the wide variety of lives we live, we look around and it's always hard to say, who is doing well? And when we do find someone, there's so many people out there, there's always someone who seems to be doing better than us. A better home, a better family, better friends, a better life. And our passage today in Hebrews deals with some of these same things. With the wide variety of lives that people have. And our need for validation, for support, approval, encouragement. And understand why we need to understand the context of this epistle. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians, hence the name Hebrews. And we can't be certain who wrote it because this letter doesn't have one of those greetings. It doesn't say, I, Paul, write you this letter and will soon come visit. So we're not sure who wrote it. But we do know some things from the content of the letter. We know why it was written. As we heard in the scripture read earlier, these people were Christians 
but because of persecution, were beginning to backslide, head back into Judaism, because Christianity was facing more and more opposition from the Roman Empire and from society at large, while Judaism remained tolerated. And so for Christians with a Jewish background, there was a natural temptation to just go back a little bit into their old ways. And so the author encourages the Hebrews to hold on to their faith, to be courageous in the face of opposition, social pressure, and even persecution. For most of the letter, he does this by carefully explaining how the new covenant in Jesus is better than the old covenant. He shows how Jesus is a better messenger than the angels, a better lawgiver than Moses, a better altar than the old temple, a better priest than the Levites, and so on, through all these different little things. But now, as he reaches the climax of the letter, the argument takes a turn, and he launches into a famous passage, sometimes called the Hall of Faith, where he lists all these characters from the Old Testament who faithfully followed God. And our passage from Hebrews this morning comes as the author realizes he's running out of time. He can't possibly list all of the characters in the Old Testament and how those people lived by faith. And so he summarizes his message and highlights the same thing that you notice if you go to a lot of funerals, and that is the wide variety, the vast differences between our lives. He gives us the huge range of lives found among the people who follow God and then tells, that, tells us what that means for us trying to follow God today. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 through chapter 12, verse 3. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which shall so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint, in your minds. It's the word of the Lord for us this morning. As we listen to this passage, to this list of all the different things people have done as they followed God, to this hall of faith, we notice a clear division. 
There seems to be winners and losers. Some subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped lions, quenched fires, escaped the sword, became strong, defeated armies. They were raised from the dead. And others had trials, mocking, scourgings. They were chained, jailed, stoned, sawn in half, killed. Homeless, they wandered in deserts and in mountains, in the dens and the caves of the earth. Some were blessed in this life, and some suffered. Some seemed to have good lives, and some seemed to have bad lives. And there is a huge difference between them. The author of Hebrews knows his Bible well, and if we read our Old Testament closely, we'll find this same thing. Some people in the Bible are blessed and empowered by God in incredible ways, but others suffer. And how do we make sense of this? How do we understand the huge differences between the lives of people who all follow God in the Old Testament? And how do we make sense of those same differences that we see in the lives of people around us today? The author points out two things. In verse 39, he says, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. All had faith. But none received the promise. For however different their lives seemed, they had those two things in common. All had faith and none received the promise. You might think, it would be reasonable to think that people who were mocked or jailed or exiled or killed were being punished by God or forgotten by God because they failed to follow him. But no, all had faith. All had a good report. All were following God, even if it led somewhere that no one would want to go. And you might think that those who had been made strong or achieved victory or conquered kingdom had received the good things that God had promised to those who follow him. But the author says, no, no one has received that yet. No one has yet received all that God has promised. However different their lives appeared, the author of Hebrews wants to remind the Hebrews of these two truths, that faith doesn't always lead to prosperity now, and that no one has received the good things that God has promised. No matter how bad our lives may seem, this does not mean we aren't following God. And no matter how good our lives may seem, that does not mean we have received all that God has in store for us. The Hebrews receiving this letter had made the same mistake that it's so, so many of us make, that's so easy to make, of thinking that when things are going well, God approves of us, that we're following God faithfully, and that when things go badly, God disapproves of us, that we've messed up, or worse than that, that God isn't really faithful to those who follow him. The Hebrews were beginning to suffer persecution. They were beginning to be destitute, tormented, afflicted, and they were ready to turn back on God. But faith in God doesn't always lead to prosperity. Now, sure, faith can stop the mouths of lions and defeat armies and raise the dead to life, but it can also lead us to imprisonment and sickness and weakness. And when God does bless us here and now, we need to remember that we are still waiting for something greater. Because what God has promised us is much greater than worldly prosperity or deliverance from our troubles now. God has promised us eternal prosperity and deliverance from all troubles. And so following Jesus doesn't mean our life now becomes easier. It means our life now becomes more like Jesus' life. But this alone, this truth by itself, it's, it's not very encouraging. It's not a very reassuring message for the Hebrews. The Hebrews are falling away from Jesus. They're saying, why even bother being a Christian? Is this faith really worth it? And the author of the letter says, well, 
Faith may not help you now. It may even get you killed. But later, later you're going to get something good out of it. It's coming later. Well, has anyone else received this thing that's coming later? There's there some evidence. Well, no one. Abraham, Moses, all the most faithful people, none of them has received the thing that's been promised. If that's what faith in God can get us, why have faith? But the author isn't done yet. He says not only will faith not get us prosperity now, not only is faith something we're waiting for and waiting for so much that no one has received what's coming, but we have to work at it. He says we have to lay aside every weight and the sin which besets us. We have to run with patience the race that is set before us. He says we need to keep going. Life is like a race. Even though we are weighed down with burdens and troubles, even though we're entangled and ensnared in sin, we have to keep going, though it takes endurance and patience and perseverance. This is not a race anyone would want to sign up for. Why would you want to have this faith? This is not a a good deal that the author of Hebrews is offering. Until he gets to verse 2 here, when he says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Jesus, we know why we have faith. He is the author and finisher of our faith. It begins and ends with Jesus. While no one in the Old Testament received all that God has promised, none of them experienced eternal life and blessing and glory, Jesus did. And just as there is a race set before us, there was a cross set before Jesus. But Jesus Jesus patiently endured that cross. Jesus despised its shame. He had faith even though that faith led him not to prosperity, but to suffering, betrayal, and shame in this world. And because he had faith, because he was the Son of God who lived a sinless life, taking the punishment for our sins on the cross, he received what God had promised. Jesus was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. When we look to Jesus, we see the pattern for our own lives. We see the race that we have to run. Here's the example, the proof that even though Jesus was perfectly faithful, his life was not perfect. It was not pleasant. His faith did not bring prosperity. His faith brought a cross. But having endured that cross, having patiently waded through suffering and despair, he received God's promise. And that is our faith, the thing we believe in that drives our whole life, that Jesus, a man 2,000 years ago, was also God, that he lived that perfect life, that he died for our sins, and that God raised him from the dead. And we have faith that those things are true, and that God will also raise uh, raise us up from the dead, that we will receive what was promised. We know the race is worth running because Jesus ran it and received the promise. Jesus is the proof that whatever suffering we have now, our faith in him will be rewarded. And Jesus shows us that receiving that promise from God takes patience. It takes putting up with suffering and shame and even opposition from people around us. But how do we live that out? What does that practically look like? Today, although we're following Jesus, our life probably won't look exactly like his. We're probably not going to be condemned by the government and religious leaders and sentenced to death to miraculously rise again on the third day. Most of us are going to lead smaller lives. We're going to deal with the everyday problems of health 
and money and other people. Most of us are going to die in a way that's not recorded in the history books and will be raised again in the great final resurrection, the end of history. And this is where we need to look back to the verses at the end of chapter 11, which listed all those strange and exceptional things in the lives of people following God. All those lives don't look like each other, but they also don't look like ordinary lives. As Christians, our lives are supposed to be different from those of people in the world around us. We aren't running the same race as the world. We're running the race that is set before us, the, the, the letter says, which is a strange phrase, the race set before us. Because normally, you don't have to tell a runner which race to run. At a track meet, nobody tells the runner, hey, stay on the track. You don't have to point out which way to go around the track. Finish lines are usually very big. It's clear where you're supposed to go. And yet we're told to run the race that is set before us, implying there are other races out there, implying this race is not the one that everyone else around us is running. Let me make an analogy. Yesterday was the 43rd annual Brewster Brew Run. Anybody run the brew run yesterday? Any brew run people? Oh dear, very inactive conversation congregation here. Well, it would have been good for you to run the brew run yesterday, and I'm sure some people did. And it starts just down the road here on 6A at the woodshed, and it loops around for about 5.2 miles, ending at the north end of 124, just by the Brewster General Store. And it's, it's a classic small town road race. It's clearly marked, it's painful exercise, but it's fun, and there's competition, but there's also encouragement, there's the thrill of running with the crowd. And that's what the race of life is like for most people. It has its ups and downs. Some people do better and some people do worse. But for everyone, it starts in the same place and it ends in the same place. You start at the woodshed, you end at the woodshed. You come from nothing, you return to nothing. And it's sort of pointless. It's hard, it's fun, but it's pointless. That's what the race is like and that's what life is like. And people will say, that. well, I'm just trying to you know, make the most of it. Have some fun while I'm around. But imagine if while the brew run was going on, while they were doing their 5.2 mile loop, you tried to run here to Brewster Baptist Church. If from wherever you lived, you started running to the church. Some of us would be right with the stream of people. You'd be going along. You might be going faster than them because you didn't have as far to go. And some of you would be running right against the stream of people, trying to fight against this crowd. And some of you, Doreen, coming down from East End, there'd be nobody around. There'd be no one on the road. You'd be completely by yourself trying to figure out where to go. And that's what it's like for us Christians. We're trying to run one race, and there's a completely different race going on around us. Sometimes to the world, it looks like we're winning. Sometimes by faith, we're made strong, we're healed, we become wise. But sometimes by faith, we're made weak because God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes our bodies or our minds fail. And to the world, it looks like we're losing. But in reality, it's not that we're winning. It's not that we're losing. We're just running a completely different race. We're not trying to have a good time running to the woodshed. We're running to Jesus. We're trying to become more like Jesus in everything that we do. And that's why we need that great cloud of witnesses, because we're not running the race the world is. And so we can't look to the world around us to support us, validate us, show us which direction to go. Although sometimes following Jesus means doing the same thing as the rest of the world. Following Jesus means loving our friends, loving our families, and that's something everyone tries to do. But sometimes following Jesus means going against the world, 
It means loving our enemies. It means humbling ourselves, putting ourselves last. And so when we look for examples of how to live our life, for proof that we have a good life, for that validation, we don't compare ourselves to the people around us, to our neighbors, to what we see on TV or online, but to those who have gone before us, living by faith. And that cloud of witnesses has huge variety and yet is united in its belief in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection. As a church and as individuals, we have to run the right race. We have to remember that we are not running the same race as the world around us. And we need to keep running to God no matter what happens. Because receiving God's promises takes patience. As a church... This means not getting caught up in the trends and fads and vices of our own particular place and time. We don't judge ourselves by what society thinks of us, but by what that great cloud of witnesses thinks of us, by all the other people around the world and throughout history who have lived by faith following Jesus. It's not about whether our church aligns with what we read in the news or see on TV, but whether our church aligns with churches in Alaska, and Bulgaria, and Uganda, and Northeast India, whether our church still aligns with the people who founded it 200 years ago, or the first Christians in New England 400 years ago, or the first Christians period 2,000 years ago. This is our great cloud of witnesses, and our church is measured against them. Are we still following Jesus like, the, like they did, like they do? And so long as we center our church on Jesus, we can be united with the church around the world, and through the ages. And when we all individually center our lives on Jesus, on his life, his work, his spirit, our church will be centered on him too. How do we do that? Listen to verse 3. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Consider Jesus. The way we endure in the race of life, the way we keep from being weary and faint is we constantly consider Jesus. We have Jesus on our mind all the time. Practically, this means worshiping him like we're doing here this morning. It means spending time in our Bibles, learning about him, spending time in prayer, talking to him, spending time in fellowship with other people who are following him. If we want to live like Jesus so that we'll be rewarded like Jesus, so that we'll receive what God has promised, then we have to have Jesus on our mind and in our hearts every day. Only when we look to Jesus can we run the right race without being weary. And while we look to Jesus in the race set before us, notice what Jesus looks to as he endures the cross. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. What was that joy? What was that thing that Jesus, the almighty son of God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords was lacking? What new joy drove him to endure the cross? Us. We are that joy. We are the thing that was lacking. We were lost in sin and far from God. But for the joy of being near to us, for the joy of loving us, for the joy of us, Jesus came down and endured death on the cross and has been seated at the right hand of the Father where he waits for us to receive the joy that God has promised us if we believe in him. Let's pray. God, you are a good God. 
God, you have done so much for us before we did anything for you. While we were still sinners, while we were lost, while we were not even thinking of you, you came down and endured a cross for us. For the joy that you could foresee in being with us and knowing with us, you came. You loved us before we had done anything, and we praise you for being such a loving, merciful, gracious God. And Lord, many of us are tired this morning. Life is a long race. And life's race is all the more difficult, All requires all the more patience for the fact that other people are running in entirely different directions. That we find ourselves going against the stream, pulling away from the crowd, in the crowd, and then out of it again. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on you. And to fix our eyes on the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. Help us to feel the support and the love of people around the world and throughout history who long for us to follow you as they have followed you. Lord, let us not be weary. Let us not be faint. Give us strength, Lord. Give us energy that we might follow you faithfully every day of our lives and that patiently enduring the race of life we might receive all the good that you have promised for those who love you. And God, we know that you are faithful to do these things. Lord, you have promised that we will run and not be faint. We shall walk and not be weary. You will give us strength. We are confident in your promises, God. And we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.